patterns are a very good predictor of the future. Five seven five three. The Reluctant King, Part Five. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today we're still dealing with the series called The Reluctant King. And today I simply want to subtitle this a question: Will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff? Will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff? The reluctant king was Saul. And when the prophet Samuel spoke to Saul, he told Saul a lot of very specific prophetic things that would happen to him that day. And every one of these things happened to Saul. So Saul knew without question this was God speaking that he should be king over all Israel. And yet when his uncle asked him what did the prophet tell him, all Saul told him about were the asses. He didn't tell him anything about the glorious prophecy that he would be king. Only the donkeys, when they looked for Saul after Samuel said it is time to anoint the king, Saul had hidden himself among the stuff or the baggage. And that was the focus of the last message. And yet even when Saul became king, Saul disobeyed so many times. Even in battle, in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, it talked about how Samuel had told Saul to wait until he got there. So he would send up an offering and Samuel got there and found out Saul had already done what he told him not to do. So many times... Saul disobeyed God when he became king, when he got the stuff. And often with many of us, God will bless us. And this happens so many times in the Bible, over and over and over and over. The children of Israel would holler for something, plead with God. God gave it to them, and it wasn't long after that. They just totally forgot about God. They just totally went their own way, did what they wanted to do. And forgot all about God. So the question is, will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff? First Samuel, beginning in that 13th chapter, Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. He had a long time to get stuff straight. God has given many of us a long time. He's given us time and time and time and time again. And sometimes we just still won't do right. And you know, when God told Saul, really the final straw, when God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites and every living thing, and some people would ask, well, why would God be so brutal? Because he told him to kill everything, every living thing. He said, you kill every man, woman, child, and every animal. And that sounded rough. But when you go back and you look at the history of the Amalekites, God had a reason. He said, well, why would he kill the children? Because children grow up to be adults. 
And the same way the children have been reared, they grow up to be adults. And so God knew all of this. It sounds super duper harsh to us, but God just knew. He said, you got to wipe out all them folk. You got to wipe out the whole seed so that this evil does not come back into the earth. But Saul got there and he saw some of the stuff seemed to look good in his eyes. We're the same way. God will tell us some stuff, but some of that stuff looked good in our eyes. God said, don't do this. Don't go that way. Don't partake in this. But look good in our eyes. So Saul didn't kill everybody. Matter of fact, he didn't even kill the king. He captured the king. And when Saul came back to Samuel, he told him, look, we have kept all of the good stuff. We threw away all of the old stuff, killed all of the old stuff, did as God told us with the old stuff. But the things that were good in my eyes, we kept and Samuel then told Saul then, your kingdom is coming to an end because you, boy, just will not be obedient from the very beginning. Now, the interesting thing about it is this, and this is what I found in life. Patterns are a very good predictor of the future, an extremely good predictor of the future. If you go back and you check what somebody has done in that past, that thing is a 90-something percent plus probability they're going to repeat that same behavior in the future. You find somebody that's cut the food and then cut the food and cut the food and cut the food and you get a hold of them, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to cut the food. I got an amen out of that one. And see, patterns are extremely predictable. I said they're 90-something percent. It's not 100% because people change. They have convergence. They make complete turnarounds. But what I have seen, that past pattern is an extremely good predictor of that future pattern. So if you find out what a person has done in the past, that's why even academic records are important. When you're trying to hire folk, that's why you call and get references. And now employers are so legal-minded and so afraid of lawsuits, they won't tell you anything. They'll tell you only the date of hire and the date that they stopped working for the company. So we've learned in other companies do this. They ask one critical question. And that one critical question is, would you hire them again? That's the one question they ask. So they can't get a reason. Oh, yes, it's that one question. Are they eligible for rehire? And that tells you a whole, whole lot of stuff. And when they said, no, they won't hire them again, whenever I hear that, that they won't hire them again, they don't tell you why. All they will tell you is, no, we won't hire this person again. When I hear that, that lets me know. Not to fool with them. Now, if you talk to the person applying for the job, they'll give you all kind of reasons about what was wrong with their manager. But when I hear from the other company, they won't hire them again, that lets me know this person has a pattern. And when you go back and check job after job after job after job and even get back to school, you find that pattern repeats. The thing about it, Saul had a pattern. He had a pattern from day one. When Samuel told him he was to be king, he put it away. When he looked for him to be king, he ran and hid. And he wouldn't do right from day one. And you ask yourself the question, well, why in the world would an all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent God put a man in position, in the highest position in the land he hadn't done right in the past, look like God would have known with all of his infinite knowledge that this man wasn't going to do right in the future? You say, I don't have all of that heavy-duty insight, and I can see that. My daddy used to have a saying when it was something that was real obvious. He said, any fool can see that. So if this man hadn't done right all through the past, it looked like any fool would have seen he wasn't going to do right when he was 
elevated to high position. See, position does not change character. It only magnifies it. That's the only thing. That's the same thing money does. Money does not change character. It simply magnifies whatever is there. So you would look at this and say, look like God knew and he specifically chose Saul. So God knew he could plainly see the pattern of Saul and by common, not even divine knowledge, no, he would continue in the same non-godly pattern. Why put such a man on the throne? I'm going to tell you something for you to think about this a little deep. God was displeased with the people not trusting him. So God put a man who he knew wasn't going to do right on the throne. Let me repeat that. God was not pleased with the people not trusting him because they didn't trust God when they hollered that they wanted a king. And God says, look, the people have not rebelled against you, Samuel. They have rebelled against me. God was not pleased with the people who did not trust God. So God put a man over the people who he knew in advance wasn't going to do right. And we're looking at some situations. And they say, why is this man in that position? See, stuff hadn't changed. Stuff hadn't changed. Stuff has not changed. And Christians and the nation will look at some stuff. And then they say, well, no, he's not doing what he said he was going to do. And this thing getting worse. And I thought he was going to save us. This is way back then in Saul's day. Y'all don't relate this to the day. This is back in Saul's day. Had nothing to do with today because we're different today. It has nothing to do with today. This is back in Saul's day. And the people said, send us a king who will save us, who will make us great again. Send us a king. Send us a king. Send us somebody who will, Lord, we don't trust you. See, we don't trust you. Send us somebody. Who going to take us to great glory? Set us a king. And I had to wonder why would God put a man, because God always puts the king on the throne. Always has, always will. Why would God put a man on the throne who by natural knowledge you knew he wasn't going to do right? By natural knowledge you knew he was going to disobey. By natural knowledge you knew he was going to do what was in his own self-interest and what he wanted to do. Not what God wanted him to do. Why would God put such a man on the throne? You have not rejected you, Samuel. The people have rejected me. And God was displeased because they did not trust God. That was Samuel's day. So I asked you the question, will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff. So we often will plead with God for this stuff. We plead with God, Lord, give me some money. Give me some money. Give me some money. Now let me ask you this. Would you trust a man with money who owed you and wouldn't pay you? Would you trust him with any more money? Just simple, I'm just asking you, not even on a divine level, just a natural level. You've loaned this man money three or four times. He hadn't paid you back a dime of your money. But he comes back to you and says, look, would you give me even more money that you've given me in the past? What do you think is your probability of getting your money out of that man? So God grants us all of this. And he says, my child, I want you to give back a tenth 
to me, to the provider who's given you everything. Now, then the child comes and says, Lord, give me more. Just bless me with more money. Bless me with a better job. Just send money from everywhere. And you ain't paid God what you owed him before. Would you give to that man additional? So how can God trust us with more and we are not faithful with a little? How can he grant us additional stuff? Because the stats all show it. Those who don't give with a little will not give with a lot. And most of the time when people get more, their percentage of giving goes down. He can't trust some of us with this stuff. We plead when we're single. Oh, Lord, let me get married. Oh, please, just let me get married. Please, Lord, let me get married. Please, please, let me get me. Lord, send me a wife. Send me a husband, Lord. Send them to me, Lord. A good candidate comes along and, oh, my goodness. All you see about him. Woo. All you see about them to the hilt. And once you get them, well, I got them now. And you don't put your focus or your emphasis on the stuff God has given you. And then we go to complain, well, they're looking at somebody else. You ain't seen about the stuff he gave you. So when God grants you something, you've got to be obedient, but you need to be obedient before he grants it to you. Would you be obedient if God gave you more stuff right now? Would you be faithful if he elevated you to a position? Would you really honor God's word if he gave you a whole lot of stuff? And that's a serious question because it is not that easy because you have to break patterns with it. And I understand often the difficulty. I'm facing two issues right now, one personal and one business. I'm on 42, so I'm moving into the fifth day of nothing but water. And what God spoke to me is this, because I've done 42 14 times. He said, really, I've got you on a different program now. But I was doing 42. He said, look, you eat when you get hungry. And later he spoke, it applies on both ends. Because I thought, well, I get through the seven days of water, but I'm not hungry. I got to continue on this fast. He said, no, it applies on both ends. So that means when I get hungry, I'm moving into day five now. If I get hungry on day six, I need to eat. The problem is... We often don't do what God says. That's my first problem of being obedient on either end. The second problem, I've got a big construction project going on out at my office. And the contractor, the job was supposed to have been finished in two months. It's been eight months. He still hadn't finished it. And we're getting ready to start a new month. And God spoke. He said, look, you change that contractor and I will pour you out even more blessings. My problem is this. See, there's always a problem with the promise. You all say that. There's a problem with the promise. There's always a problem with the promise. The promise very rarely just comes and we just ain't got to do nothing. You know, the problem, the promise never just comes unattached with something. The problem, he said, look, you get rid of that contractor because you know he's not doing right. He's promised you things multiple times. He hadn't kept his word on any of the stuff. You get rid of that contractor and I'll pull you in more blessing. Now, the problem is this. I've already paid the man two thirds of it. He's only done one third of it and he got my money. Then the man told me, I'm going to start on Tuesday. I'm going to come back. Yeah, I know I've been gone for a while. I come in, I do a little work, disappear, and I come in and do it. But I'm gonna, this time it's going to be different. Yeah, I know the last five times I didn't tell you the truth. I didn't keep my word. But this time it's going to be different. So if you give me the Tuesday, I will come and I will get stuff straightened out and I'm going to keep my word and I'm going to do right. If you just give me the Tuesday. So what I told him is, I said, look, 
there are two things I ask from you. I want the plans for the project, and I want a detailed schedule of what you're going to do, and I want them by Saturday. He emailed me 11.30 Saturday night with a picture of a filter on his truck. He said, my filter on my truck started leaking. I had to stop and fix it, and this is why you don't have those two items. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to give you the 3 o'clock. I emailed him, and then I thought about that thing. That ain't what God told me. Because I didn't want to lose all that money I'd put out on him already. I said, if I can get this man to finish the job, then I won't lose all that money he already got. That's the problem. But it wasn't God's word. If you get another contractor, I will pull you out many more blessings. I had to email that man back. I said, look, I already told you you were terminated. And then you came back and said, you're going to be there on Tuesday. I said, that's it. I said, you terminated, that's it, that's it. So I'm getting me another contractor. But the problem was I had to wrestle with the problem and wrestle with this personal stuff. That's the same thing Saul had to do. Saul said, look, I went ahead and did this because I'm scared of the people. And he didn't say I'm scared of God. It was an excuse after an excuse after an excuse after an excuse. And he would not be obedient when God gave him the stuff. And I'm sitting there in the same position. That's why I don't criticize folk in the Bible. They're the folk us. So I understand what we go through and the struggles that we go through and the difficulty of trusting God. Because if you get another contractor, I will bless you even the more. When you all come to my office and you see that fountain is there, that's not the first fountain. That's the second fountain. The first fountain was built across our property line. I didn't realize it at the time it was on another man's property. Man told me we could keep it there. And he came back after we got it built and said he wanted some rent. (laughs) And God says, you shall not pay him one penny of rent. And I told him that. I said, look, I said, can't pay you any rent. I ended up moving the fountain. Cost a ton of money. And God says, leave no trace on his property. Because the contractors, they were going to, the bricks, they they said, we'll just put them in the hole and cover it up. No, no, no. I said, God said, leave no trace. Don't put any bricks on that property. Don't put nothing but the dirt you got out. Don't leave any trace of any of our stuff was ever on this property. We moved that whole thing. The fountain is four times bigger. It's much prettier. It's a whole lot better. And somebody came in and stepped in and paid for every penny of it. See, when you follow God's instruction, and look like my logical mind said, look, it'd be better to just pay this man a little rent every month than having to move the whole thing and spend all that money. My logical mind said it would be better to keep this contractor, just go ahead and let him finish the job. Yeah, I know he hadn't done the last five things he said, but he said he's going to be straight this time. <laughs> you all ever had anybody who said they're going to be straight this time, but the last five or six times they done mess you up? You've got to be able to hear the voice of God. But hearing is not the challenge and not the problem. We've got to be able to obey. And then you obey with the little stuff. And I told you weeks before, God says there's nobody in this church who's in a financial mess who's been obedient with their money. I stand by that fully. And anybody want to challenge me on it, bring me your records. Bring me your records. I believe it without question. See, when you are in obedience, there's a blessing that comes with that, even when it doesn't make sense to you. And I've learned that over and over and over and over again. This church is blessed without question. And I've learned it over and over and over. But we're going to be obedient. See, just like they're getting out on time. I don't care what folk think. I'm not scared of the people. God said, you get out of here on time, three out of four Sundays, we're going to be out of here on time. I don't care what the folks say. And some people, he just ought not to be there. No, no, no. I ain't going to make the mistake Saul made. I'm going to... 
do my best to be obedient to God's command. And you understand when the obedience comes, there's a blessing that goes with this stuff. It is not out of the blue. It is always a problem that comes with a promise, but that promise is always bigger than your problem. And you've got to learn to be obedient. And for those of you who are in a financial mess, I'm not going to call for often. You all go to IWantToGive.com and get straight. Just do it. Because, see, it's like if you read the Bible, when Saul went to Samuel, he says he was trying to get Samuel's approval, and he never tried to get God's approval. Don't try to get my approval. This ain't between me and you. This is between you and God. I'm just a representative. So anything in your life that you want straightened out and you want more, how can God grant you more and he can't trust you with what he's already given you? Because patterns are just predictable. So until you get into the pattern of doing what God has told you to do, he cannot trust you with more. And I believe that our destiny is greater, and I believe your destiny is greater. But there are some things in your world you just ain't been obedient about. Look at any of the major areas of life, your money. Are you obedient with that money? And are you obedient with what God has told you to do on either end? Well, Pastor, what do you mean on either end? Give when he tells you to and don't give when he tells you not to. On either end, have you been obedient with your money? Have you been obedient with your time? Have you been obedient in your relationship to God, not modern trends? And there's a big difference in modern trends and what the Word of God says. A huge difference in modern trends. See, modern trends can have you all kind of stuff. And they change. They really do. Modern trends just change. What was detestable 20 years ago is perfectly acceptable now, but it has not changed in the Word of God. Man, stuff just changed. It goes waves all up and down what changes and what's up. Are you in obedience to God's Word? That does not change. Folk do. And sometimes what we emphasize and how we interpret it, it changes. That's why you need to read it for yourself and know what God really said. Not even what the preacher said. What God really said. Because sometimes the preacher got some other motives. What God really said. It does not change. So people, I ask you the question. For those of you watching or listening electronically, I simply ask you the question. Will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff, whatever stuff that is? Will you truly do If you really want a wife, will you love the wife as God commanded? If you really want a husband, will you be obedient and respectful to the husband when the husband comes? Will you be obedient when God gives you the stuff? If you want more money, start being obedient with your money right now. Just go to IWantToGive.com and start getting straight. But you don't just get straight. See, some people want to give today and expect God to bless them tomorrow. It doesn't work like that because he knows your heart. He knows what's in that heart. You got to get that heart straight. Are you being obedient? with what God has told you to do so that he can take you to another level. I believe it in my heart, and I don't want us to be like the mother who was having trouble with her son, and he wouldn't do anything she told him to do. Just wouldn't do it. Just wouldn't do it. So after a real tough day, the mama said, all right, son, do whatever you want to do. And then she said, now let me see you disobey that. Sometimes, and I understand it, we just don't want to obey. We want to do what we want to do. And that's the story throughout the Bible of God's blessings and his cursings and him blessing the children of Israel. Then he had to send them through all this stuff so they would come back. Simply because they would not do what he told them to do, they would only do what they wanted to do. Will you be obedient? When God gives you the stuff. That's the question that all of us have to answer. When we get in obedience to God in whatever area it is, blessings eventually flow from that. 
They really do. And when you understand there are no coincidences, there's no coincidences from who sits on the throne to who sweeps the floor. There are no coincidences. God controls it all. And I have such a strong belief in divine orchestration and ordination. And you know, as bad as Saul was and God stripped the kingdom from him, when you go and read, David wouldn't touch Saul. And Saul was trying to kill David because he was jealous of him. But David would not touch Saul. Now you think in the natural, a man trying to kill me? I mean, God going to have to speak real loud in my ear about that one. I mean, David wouldn't touch him because he said, even though Saul has done evil in the sight of the Lord, it was God who placed him here. And I will not touch God's anointed. So David knew better, even though he could see all of these flaws with the man. I will not touch God's anointing. And even though Saul was trying to kill David, he said, I will not touch God's anointing. That which God has anointed, don't touch that. And that just didn't come from M.C. Hammer. Don't touch that. (laughs) What God has anointed, do not touch. God's going to deal with that. When that anointing gets out of whack, God's going to deal with him. You don't have to worry about it. God handles Saul. David knew he didn't have to handle it. And sure enough, Saul was killed. And Saul's sons were killed. So it didn't just affect Saul, it even affected his seeds. That's why everything the parents do, it affects those children. So God killed Saul and he killed his kids. And you say, that's rough. Yeah, but God knows. And I am not in a position to judge the actions of the Almighty because I just know a small sliver of the whole picture. And a small sliver of an infinite time. I got this little bitty sliver and I can't see the whole picture from this small picture. And that's why I've learned don't try to judge and don't try to figure it out. Trust God. And when you trust God, everything works out. So we've got to learn how to be obedient people. You've heard the announcement the last couple of weeks I'm beginning Coach Bronner and I do believe that has the potential to even change the church and it may be the thing that will cause us to grow When I started Mountain Wings back in 2001, I started Mountain Wings, I had 60 subscribers. And it grew to 1.3 million when I started Coach Bronner on the email list. The first email that went out on Friday, there were 1,342 subscribers. There's probably only 100 or so on social media, but I don't plan on starting promoting it until next month. I want to first get it smoothed out and get myself together and get everything working right before then. But I do believe from this church will come additional things that will impact the world. I had a pastor of another church tell me last week that he had about 20 or 30 of his congregation who did 42. And he brought them up on stage and they saw the phenomenal transformation that had happened with those 20 or 30. And he asked for people who wanted to sign up to do 42 next week and 240 folks signed up and that rooted out of this church we're going to change the world it's been what God has placed among me from the beginning we're going to change the world you don't have to have a whole lot of folk to do that but what you do have to do is you have to be obedient when James first really came up with the idea of Coach Bronner and when he first mentioned it it hit my spirit so strong And this was back in the middle of March. I said, I want to launch this thing on my daddy's birthday, March 31st. That was about five days after he told me that. I said, I want to launch this thing on my daddy's birthday. And God just spoke, don't you launch it on any day related to man. You launch it on one of my days. I looked at God's calendar and I said, well, I will introduce it on the first day of the biblical month, 
which was April the 26th or 27th. And I'll start it on the next first day of the biblical month, which was May 26th. And I will start promoting it on the next biblical day of the month, which is June the 25th or 26th. And when Prophet Hector came on the last time, he spoke a long time. He said, I see something coming. See, in three months, it's just going to be phenomenal. I said, that may be Coach Bronner because it's a three-month plan and a three-month program. But I believe God can trust me with it because he could trust me with mountain wings. So when you can trust a man with something he's already done, you can trust him with something you got him to do for the future. And I just learned that. Don't give anybody a job and you couldn't trust him with them last few jobs you gave and that's why busy people get busier and busier and folk who got nothing to do get, you know, less and less to do. But that's why when I preach the sermon on to them who hath it shall be added unto. To them who have not, even that which they have will be taken away from them. It's a principle of spirit. It's a principle of natural. And I want all of us to move to the side of the have nots. Don't even start thinking about it. Don't declare it. Talking about what you don't have. Move to the side of the have nots. Start thinking and start declaring what you do have. Because you can't do a doggone thing with what you don't have. But you can turn the world upside down with what you do have. And it's a different state of mind. All of us got stuff. And there's stuff all of us are missing. And you will not be able to do a thing with what you don't have. So when we think about these things... And when we declare these things, we can do what others think are impossible. Well, Pastor, you in your 60s. How you going to? I ain't old. <laughs> and if I am, so what? So what? I have on my phone a countdown clock. And it's something that God told me to do. He said, you get a countdown clock until your end of days. I said, what? That don't make any sense. That was on a Sunday night when James was talking at the Men of Vision. I heard it. You get a countdown clock to your end of days. I had lunch on that Monday with Trevor's father, Kima. And I told Kima about it. I got to get a countdown clock to my end of days. And Kima said, I just got through reading a book called Life in Half a Second. He said the whole book was about getting a countdown clock and keeping track of the time in front of you, not the time behind you. I said, whoa. So this is my countdown clock right here. I've got 20,272 days or 55 years, five months and 30 days until the time of my death. So I'm looking in front of me, not behind. It changes your perspective. And I see why God gave me a countdown clock. And the book talked about when people start focusing on what's in front of them versus what's behind them. It changes what they do. And too many of y'all looking at stuff done happened to you in the past. Look at all the years you got left and what you can do. And I even command my mother. Mama, stop saying you old. You ain't old. You got more energy and stuff. I was taking my mother somewhere yesterday and making a left turn. There was a line of cars coming. So I just waited till the cars went past. And and when I made the turn, my mama said, I would have made that in front of that first car. (laughs) And that's mama's pattern. Mama walk fast and mama drives fast. You know how sometimes you see the little old ladies behind the wheel? That's not mama. Mama walks fast and mama drives fast. Mama's big problem are speeding tickets. Mama moves fast. And this is important even if you want to go. If you want to get somewhere fast, ride with mama. If you want to be safe, ride with see Elijah. So, so the patterns make a tremendous difference. So people, I'm just here to just tell you 
Stop seeing what you don't have. Stop seeing you don't have youth. Stop seeing what's behind you. Stop seeing you don't have money. Stop seeing you don't have education. Stop seeing you don't have good looks. Stop seeing what you don't have. That's why God had to tell Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses was giving God all these excuses. I'm stuttering. I'm Because what do you have, man? I just got this stick. And he was able to take the stick in obedience to God and bring down a kingdom. What do you have? Stop telling about what you don't have. Any fool can see that. What do you have? And when you start focusing on what do you have, it changes your power. Well, you know, if I could do more better if just my husband would support me. If just my wife would support me. Well, what do you have? You got God supporting you. Ain't that enough? I mean, seriously, stop fussing and complaining about what you don't have. And focus on what you do have. We have a destiny, all of us. And we're reluctant kings. And if we are obedient with what we do have, God can grant us more. But he cannot grant us more and we won't handle what he's already given us. What do you have? And people, when you start making a list of what you do have, first of all, you walked up. We have very poor handicap access in the ark. Very poor. So if you cripple, you can't hardly get in the ark. So everybody who's in here is in good shape. You can get up those steps. It's a filtering ground just to even get in this church. So what do you have? You can walk. Maybe not as fast as mama, but you can walk. So you've got stuff that you do have. And yes, some of you all are getting up in age. So what? When you look in the Bible, it talked about how many of the people did so much stuff and they were up in years. And it didn't even matter. Noah, who was the head of the ark, like me, was the oldest man to have a child. I don't know what his first child, but he said Noah was 500 years old before he had that child. So what do you have? And what can stop you in the will of God? But you've got to know the will and be willing to do it. And do not focus on what you do not have. You've got the opportunity for salvation right now. Even if you've been wayward in the past, right now you have a Savior who died for you, shed his blood for you that's open right now. Use what you got. And if you got Jesus in your corner, ah, you've got it all. I thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word. Because, brother, you need the Word. (laughs) Amen, amen. You are listening to BrothersoftheWord.com. This was part five of the series titled The Reluctant King by Nathaniel Bronner. This message is number 5753, that's 5753, to listen to over a thousand free messages or to send this message number 5753 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Oh, brothers of the